Good morning. Kelly is uh, down south somewhere uh, visiting with his family, which is a well-deserved break to him, and uh, we certainly pray for he and Robin's safe travels, and that the days may pass slowly. I don't know if that's one of your prayers, but when I travel doing something I like to do, I pray that my time will slow down. And actually, this morning, I probably pray that my time will slow down so I can get through everything I want to tell you. The message this morning is about faith in the midst of a staggering economy, the preparation which I had no part of of the service, the songs that we have sung this morning, the thoughts that Ron brought us by way of parallel to the glorious praise and the message this morning, they, I think you will find, um, entwine into the message that we're talking about. For some of you, this sermon this morning may seem completely irrelevant you will say, oh, this is really a bit of a snooze. This is not relevant to me at all. And then for some of you, your thoughts may be so distressed that it's hard for you to even know what I'm saying. Your thoughts will be so elsewhere. <clears throat> As Ron said, Calgary is, well, not he didn't say, but he implied that Calgary has been in an economic downturn for almost five years now. Jobs are lost, careers are put on hold, money is short, marriages are stressed, households get noisy, hopes fade, bills increase, savings disappear, and life becomes terribly gray. And all the while, a growing loneliness can fill one's soul. God can seem so distant, and I no longer know really who I am. Sadly, although this topic is pointed to our current business malaise, the breakdown of our personal and social lives can be experienced at any time that things go wrong and that bad things just happen. To where do we turn when there is just nowhere to go, when no, we wake in the middle of the night for no reason in a cold sweat? when we have no money and we feel so helpless. Proverbs says that the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear it? Who can bear it? So why do I have the right to speak about this subject, you may ask? <clears throat> An old guy? Well, for 40 years I've worked in a commissioned career that results in me constantly living in a state of being unemployed. You may not see it that way, but that's how it is. Until I get my next contract, and then I'm re-employed. For the first 20 years of my career, from 76 to 96, we rarely had any savings. You may realize that between the 70s and the 90s, the 80s occurred, that you've heard. I have sold our children's life insurance policies to put food on the table. And I twice sold our home and returned to renting with bills taking any little equity that was left. I have also sat on the side of my bed in a basement suite, a, a grown man weeping over our children leaving home for university. The loss of my wife going off to work and my life closing in on 50. But my life and the life of my family 
is not different to many of you. Hardship comes to life. It's part of life. It's not the hardship that is the problem. It's how we respond to the hardship that matters. In the book of Matthew, the writer introduces us to an account titled The Sermon on the Mount. And before we get into the text, I just want you to ponder this scene. You're all familiar with, for the most part, I imagine, the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, we've heard of that, and this is where Jesus sits on a hillside. But just ponder for a moment. The God of heaven, the God of Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, the Israelites, and the the God of the Old Testament, this God of all creation has descended to earth. That is why they call him Emmanuel. It's God with us. And he is now sitting with people just like us on a hillside in the countryside of Israel. Now, I know for some of you, that may just be a struggle with your belief in the whole scene. It just is, that's just a story. But just for a few moments, I want to ask you, what if this is really true? What if this is, I mean, this is God sitting on a hillside. The sovereign creator, so powerful a being as to speak into existence everything that we see or know or imagine, sat down on the grass right beside us and started to explain to us how to live our lives. What if that were true? Would we listen? Would we lean in? Would you shuffle forward to get a front row seat? God starts by explaining what a successful life looks like. I mean, don't we want to know? What does it mean to be successful? Well, it's not the wealthy and the powerful or the famous who are successful in God's eyes, but rather those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, are meek, or who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted because of righteousness or experience insult, persecution, or evil and false accusation because their identity is in him. God, through Jesus, goes on to explain that we, the people, are the salt and light of the world, that we should avoid anger, not be unfaithful or commit adultery, that we should keep our word, And if necessary, turn the other cheek or hand our coat to the one who takes our shirt, giving to the one who asks. We should love our enemies, pray for our persecutors, give to the needy in secret, pray behind closed doors, not be obvious when we're fasting, and lastly, not store up treasures on this earth. Because we cannot serve this God who made us and the treasures we accumulate through our lives. And you may remember Kelly talked about that last week, this relationship with our possessions. 
But then the God who brought us into existence says this. This is the fulcrum point of the message. Therefore, do not worry about your life. Therefore, do not worry about your life. Who can anyone add a single hour to your life by worrying? Indeed, first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. God, Jesus, then begins to close this sermon by saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. But what it doesn't say is, how and when I will receive. What, when, and where I will find. Where and who will open the door to me. He goes on, do to others what you would have them do to you. Enter through the narrow gate, because small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Life. The few find life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of his Father who is in heaven. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of his and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It all sounds so easy, doesn't it? I mean, sitting here... Listening to God, this is not rocket science. You probably don't even need to go to school to understand most of these words. But I've lost my job. My future's on hold. Money is short. My marriage is stressed. Our household gets so noisy. Hopes are fading, bills are increasing, savings have disappeared, and life is looking so gray. All the while, a loneliness is filling my soul. God seems a very long way away, and I no longer know exactly who I am. So this morning, for the next few minutes... I'd like to give you three suggestions to help you and your faith survive a staggering economy. But then, for those of you who are saying, okay, I don't need that. Things are going pretty well, thank you. To you, I will offer you three other suggestions on how you can act towards people whom you know to be struggling Struggling through personal, pain, through personal pain. Proverbs says there is more hope for a fool than a person wise in their own eyes. Do you express your opinion occasionally? Never in a time of my life have I heard more opinion expressed these days. It is everywhere, in myself as well. But the proverb says there's more hope for a fool than a person who's wise in their own eyes. 
if we think we know it all and we have all the answers, we already have a problem with this situation. So before we even consider the three solutions or three suggestions, it's important that we seek wisdom. Socrates is said to have, is quoted to have said, the only true wisdom is in knowing we know nothing. That is wisdom. So the moment we say opinion, pull it back, say, wait a minute, just what do I know? Reading and journaling through the Bible books of wisdom, especially Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, can be a great blessing in times of struggle. But not to read all the Proverbs, or to read them all, but take pencil and underline the Proverbs that you say, this one is speaking to me, this one is speaking to me. And Ecclesiastes the same way. And even Job and the Psalms can be very beneficial. But our suggestions, number one, to survive through a staggering economy. The very first suggestion is that of heart and soul protection. How are we going to protect our heart? How are we going to protect our soul? Well, simply, we need to draw closer to God. Simply said, a lifetime to do. But you know, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, when asked by Ahab, king of Israel, to join him in battle, he said, "Ah, let's first talk to God. That was his response. Let's first talk to God. Matthew says, first, seek his kingdom, his righteousness. We tend to, yeah, but I don't know what to say to God. I mean, I don't even feel good about this. I don't want to talk to God. But foundationally, God is our maker. To draw closer to God, somehow, we've got to go and talk to him. And when we talk to him, we can count our blessings, and we can talk with thanksgiving. Philippians says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. But I'm not sure that this means bring your shopping list to God. We can do that. But perhaps before we do that, we need to ponder. Sometimes we may be brought together by some of the prayers that we can read through Scripture. You've heard me quote before 1 Chronicles 29, only because for decades now it's been a go-to prayer for me to bring my thoughts calmed before God. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Uh, Where did I put my shopping list through those thoughts? It just causes me to think about God. We could go to Psalm 23 and say, The Lord, or better still say, You, Lord, are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in the paths of righteousness 
for your name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord in your house forever. Where again was my shopping list? Or simply the Lord's Prayer, which does ask, but our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even Paul. If you read through the prayers of Paul, you find very little prayers of shopping list. Paul prays for deeper faith, for us, growth, or those that he was writing to, which includes us, growth of the Spirit within. He prays for knowledge and patience. The closest thing he comes to in praying for tangible is directing us to pray for our leaders, governments, and all those in authority. And we would struggle with that, so wrong pointed out, in communion. We struggle with praying for those above us, really? But they're such. That's what Paul says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So first, stop. Stop. And remember who watches over us. And consider our blessings. I remember one, one Saturday, about 30 years ago, going to the office. We were spit poor at the time. And I had no idea what was going to happen the next week. And I thought, but there must be something good. And I took out a sheet of paper and I started to write out, just write out my blessings. What I did have. I knew I didn't have much, but I knew... And sure enough, by the end of the afternoon, I had filled that paper. And somehow, that was the richest of blessings. The second thing is to, or the third thing I should say is, keep some things normal, especially marriage and family activities. Corinthians 11, if you think about it, it's, it's really quite a bizarre line. It says, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, which came as no surprise, but on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Is that what you would do or I would do? I don't know, but it was important. Perhaps we would. But he had gathered around him, those closest to him, and he broke bread. It's good to do. It's good for us to do when we're fighting through troubles. We also can develop... um, I beg your pardon, sorry. Put that up. Um, we also can develop new activities with those most precious to us. Um, in the 80s, in fact, um, Patty and I used to go to the roastery on Wednesday mornings. We dedicated Wednesday mornings to us. 
the deal was that we would not talk about work. We would not talk about family. We would not talk about children. We're going to go and have a coffee at the roastery on 10th Street, which rather just coincidental, coincidentally, we went to yesterday just, just to do it. And it was very, very strange. We haven't been there for a long time. But on Wednesday mornings, we would sit in the roastery talking about anything but stuff. We needed that time together. Sometimes we need to have breakfast and supper together and treasure the opportunity. Stop for a few moments and look around you. This is what you're working for. We can contemplate and relish in nature. Jesus frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. The disciples went away in a boat to a solitary place. Some say, be still and know that I am God. But do we do it? I have a theory right now that one of our burdens is that we surround ourselves with man-made things. Even in this building, this is man-made. Our homes are man-made. You walk downtown, it's man-made. Getting out into nature is God-made. You walk, through the, walk down by the river, walk in the mountains, take a trip out to Kingsfold on the northwest, one of the retreat centers, which there are many of around town. Go to something where God made, and we can be blessed by that. We can journal our thoughts and prayers. We can even find a prayer companion. But journaling, in my own experience, I have journals going back almost 40 years. Not all the time, but scribbling down, and it's interesting to see the flow of one's thoughts year by year by year. When you're losing your way in a staggering economy, draw closer to God and heed the words of Jesus' brother James. Come near to God and he will come near to you in return. The second thing we can do is we can seek good and experienced advice but my advice to that is be prudent in the life you, you, the life you seek. <clears throat> Proverbs says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And indeed, Psalm says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. But within that, the important thing would be when you go to seek wisdom is to prepare good questions. Draw on your wisdom. You could ask questions like, I'm interested in hearing your views on. Help me to understand. Rather than give me your opinion or tell me what to do. If you ask to be told what to do, then you're going to struggle with whether or not to take the person's advice or not. You're not asking that. You're asking to hear their views. Have you always had this perspective? That is a good question when asking a person about their faith or what their beliefs are. Have you always had that perspective? Why do you have that belief? Why do you hold those values? Look at this, for example. Have you personally experienced what I'm going through? You're telling me what to do. 
Tell me your story, and then I can listen to you. I know you'll understand, or you have knowledge that I need and seek from you. That can be a blessing. Would you share with me? Have you met the person you're speaking about? Have you read the books you're talking about? Have you been to the places of which you have an opinion? Have you seen? Have you heard? Where did you hear this evidence of what you're expressing to me? I'm seeking your guidance, but I don't want opinion. I need experience. Finally, how... We're getting there. I think we're... Here we go. How reliable do you believe your source to be? That's a really, really important question to yourself. That is wisdom itself. How reliable are the things that you are hearing. And thirdly, unemployment protection. So you may be unemployed, but you may be employed, but might be unemployed. These are unemployment suggestions. So the first one is, always carry your own pink slip. So I started doing this about nearly 40 years ago, 35 years ago. You would see in my wallet, if you looked in my wallet, you would find this. That is my pink slip. I'm self-employed. I actually decide when I'm employed and when I'm not. I'm always unemployed until I'm employed. But in the 80s, I watched so many people losing their jobs, and they were out of control of their pink slip. And I thought, I want to carry my own pink slip because then I will take responsibility for all the aspects of my life. And I used to carry them always in my business cards. I carried one always in my breast pocket with business cards. So if I pulled out my business card to give to you, I would also pick up, bring out my pink slip. You probably wouldn't have even noticed it. But it reminded me to carry my own pink slip. It also says that I need to plan to lose my job because one day I will, even if it's only through retirement. It's not being negative. It's being sensible. It's being wise. It's being responsible. Recognize that we all, you may be employed and somebody may hand you a pink slip, but the reality is you also carry a pink slip or can choose to. Scripture says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. We just don't know what a day will bring tomorrow or the next day. And one of my favorites, personally, and my son will smile because we quote this back and forth so often. But the race, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and circumstance happen to them all. And we see that every day around us. It also happens to us. Never stop learning. Keep studying. Always get better. I still read books on sales after nearly 45 years. Why? Because I want to keep up. Because young people, like some of you, are coming in. But I've got two benefits. I have current knowledge, but I also have experience and wisdom in my field. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. For the ears of the wise seek it out. 
Proverbs says. We can connect and reconnect all the time with books to read, people who haven't seen for a long time, even old hobbies and interests you've never had time for. But the thing, one of the things that strikes me when we're in a state of employed is we don't do the things that protect our employment. And then when we find ourselves unemployed and looking for a job again, we start, what are we doing? Touching base with people, keeping, building connections, relearning, retooling. Just keep doing that all the time. And it gives you that greater connection. We can open new channels. Ecclesiastes says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. We need to watch our internal narratives. What are you telling yourself? What am I telling myself? There's no work. I'll never get a job. It's impossible. There'll never be another job again. It's gone. As opposed to, I am a child of God. If that's your, if that's your belief, you can say that, you can self-talk that every day. I am a child of God. He promised to take care of me. My job is to ask and to seek and to knock. And don't miss the skills. So many times I've, pe- I've seen people excel in areas that they would have dismissed. I especially see this in roles of leadership, interestingly, that often people would say, I could never be a leader. I could never do this. I could never manage that. I could never ramp up. And the onlooker says, you could. It's in you. You could do this. You could do it. Oh, no, no, I couldn't. That is the self-talk. I can't. I can. But do you not know people who are not using gifts that they have? The person sitting right beside you now, or in front of you or behind, you'd say, boy, I tell you, that they could really be something if they would just do it. And how many times there are many people in a room of this size who have stepped out into something, taken a chance, and found they could do it and succeeded in it. Don't miss your skills. And lastly, remember who you work for. If you're currently looking for a job, then your job is to find work. That's the job. Whether you have a job or you're looking for a job, remember that our responsibility of job performance Our performance review, if you like, is to no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians, whatever you do, whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, we are serving. This is an unfair question, but it's a question I ask of myself, and it's this. Would you hire you based on the job you're doing in looking for your next job? And I just leave it with you, because many times in my career I've asked the question, 
would I hire me? Like, am I doing a job? I mean, I'm a, I'm not, I'm a critical person, but critical, not nasty critical, but I critique, if you like. And I, I'm inclined to want a fairly high performance. And sometimes I have to ask myself, are you giving a high performance? Would you hire yourself in this, Kevin? Or would you say, ah, I'm going to look for somebody else? I don't know, but it's just a question. Now, to those of you who are currently working, I have a Three other quick suggestions. This is especially in the church. You know, the church is the most glorious place. It truly is. I mean, it, I think you, many of you know that in this room. Um, if you don't know it, I hope you'll find it. But we have, to be, we have to be responsible in the church. The same with families. Some of you know that our family is very close in the sense of our children. One family lives next door to us. The other lives two doors behind us with the grandchildren. And you might say, that's brilliant. But you know that families, many people would say to me, I couldn't do that. And what do you mean you couldn't do that? You couldn't live that close to people you love? You know, what's going wrong? So we absolutely have certain behaviors. We are responsible to one another in order to live like that. We respect one another. And that's exactly what I'm talking about in this Closing, these closing thoughts. Because we need to be careful to respect other people's boundaries. Don't be superficial. If you know somebody's hurting, and not just with work, it could be with anything, we need to be respectful. We, don't, we shouldn't be nosy for the sake of it. Just, just to fill in, because you don't know anything else to say. Learn something better to say. But don't be superficial. Please stop asking me how the market is. I, I, I said, I, today I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm old and grumpy now, you know, if you want to ask me about the car. But in the 80s and in the 90s, when we were losing our shirts on a biannual basis, many times people would say, how's the market? Well, don't you read the papers? You know, don't you listen to the radio? Don't you, you don't need to ask me. I'm hurting. This applies us to our burdens as well. We ask about people's health tritely. We ask, or we know about addictions. They may be struggling with family. We need to be careful to respect people's boundaries. doesn't mean to say we don't talk to them. But we are very free with our communications of what could be very personal information. Secondly, questions to avoid. My favorite, 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 hate, hate, hate question is, how are you? Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Stop it. Don't use words that you have absolutely no interest in. And we do it all the time. Hope is here. No, hope isn't here. Hope is there. I was not thinking about it. Hope and I have a, we challenge each other with that, and it's good. It's good for me. It's very good for me because I'm careful what I ever say to Hope. I never ask her how she is. <laughs> so, that's not quite true. But we all do it. Get to know people better. Find a common ground other than their work. 
I mean, how many times when you step out into the foyer do you say, so what did you think of the lesson today? What did you think of the singing? Wasn't the choice of songs wonderful? Don't you feel excited about being here? Wasn't that good? I didn't quite understand what he was talking about. Have you ever heard N.T. Wright? Have you heard, listened to anything else he said? There are other things we can talk about other than what's right in our face. And seek to build other people's up and encourage them. Proverbs says, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Consider how we may spur one another on. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, we never know. I'm closing now so you can... We never know what is behind the eyes of the person with whom we are shaking hands. Their fears, their challenges, their pain, their secrets, their problems, their guilt, their loneliness. You're going to step out of here. You're going to shake hands. You do not mulling at you and shaking your hand. The past months, weeks, and days have felt to be increasingly stressful. I feel pianos on my back weighing as though molding me a piece of soft clay into a thousand little pieces. I feel I have felt as a trapped animal, not knowing which way to run, and as the constant clamor of the beaters gets closer and closer, my mind, instead of getting sharper and more focused, becomes numb. And my motions become heavy and unclear until I merely sit in a comfortable clearing and await my doom. That was written on April the 26th, 1991. At the time, I was 41 years old. I had worked in my career for 15 years and was struggling with two major decisions. The first, for the second time, because we had no money again and no equity left in our house. We were, I was struggling with whether the cellar home that we were living in. Having sold our first one again 10 years earlier in 82. The second decision was whether to leave the eldership to which I had been appointed two years earlier. Sell the house, leave the eldership, do something else. I tell you this because some of you, even in this room, would have been in the congregation at that time. Many not. I tell you this because you would never have known my anxiety. The anxiety I was going through when you shook my hand on Sunday morning and you asked lightly, tritely, so, how's the real estate market, Kev? We ended up selling our home, moving back into a rental to pay off bills. And I remained in the eldership for seven more years. 
Because by drawing closer to God, you and I can experience a peace that passes all understanding. It's incomprehensible. For those of you in a period of transition, I pray that you may be encouraged. I deeply do. And for the rest of us, may we never forget what may be behind the eyes of the person with whom we are shaking hands. Would you pray with me? Dear God, may our thoughts and our memory bring glory to you through the things we hear, the things we consider. Please forgive us of our sins. Too often our thoughtlessness, our ignorance, our flippant use of opinion, our judgments. Please forgive me for the contempt I see in, I see I lead or I hold towards other people. The condemnation I make of others. Please forgive us of our sins. And may we ever draw closer to you and praise your name through the name of Jesus. This is what we pray. Amen.